Well, hello, church family. This is Pastor Scott back with another edition of the post-sermon wrap-up podcast. And today, I am joined by a special guest, Mr. Tyson Smith. Tyson, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Scott. It is a pleasure to have you in this seat because for the first time here since you're uh, coming to Newcastle back in July, this was your first time formally back in the pulpit. And Mm -hmm. Thankful to have you minister God's word to us. It was a delight to see you in that role, outside of just your normal responsibilities, uh, leading us faithfully with the music ministry on Sunday. Um, But today, you get the privilege of sitting in the seat where Kevin is typically, and you get to just help minister God's word to us as we process what we just learned on Sunday. We're getting close to the end of our uh, More Than a Children's Story sermon series, so we're down to his last couple. And you had the privilege of doing one of the most popular, we could almost even say possibly the most popular Bible story in all the Bible, considering that people who don't even know the Bible know about the story of David Goliath. It's somewhat of a a mythological story, it feels like, to some people. Um, But you did an excellent job unpacking for us, kind of really fighting against that, you know, maybe self-centered mentality of the David and Goliath story. So uh, rehash for us again kind of what your main point was and how is it that you drew that out of uh, this particular passage? Yeah, my main point was that God works victory, deliverance, salvation in our lives through humble dependence so that he gets the honor. And what my heart was behind that is first and foremost to see what the text has to say uh, about it and try to draw the the main point from the text. Uh, But so often uh, it's tempting to look at the text and with a man-centered view. And so oftentimes I think this text has been taught, the story of David and Goliath has been taught with like a um, kind of like a self-improvement moralistic Mm -hmm. lesson um Mm -hmm. when you are small and your problems are big how do you be courageous Mm -hmm. and instead of a Mm god-centered uh lesson take away from it but at the same time even though all of scripture is god-centered and about his glory that doesn't leave us out doesn't mean it's meaningless to Mm -hmm. us or that it's not valuable to us um we would be careful not to uh uh put God's glory and our good at odds. Um, that's, I think, one of the beauties, uh, wonders, wonderful truths of Scripture is that um, God's glory is the most important thing, but God's glory does include our good, mm-hmm. though that good is defined by the Bible mm-hmm. and not our own definition of good. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that that main point really helps wed those two things, that mm-hmm. God does care, care about delivering us from mm-hmm. difficulties. Um, what that deliverance looks like mm-hmm. it, is defined by the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, if like I have cancer, that God's going to deliver me from that cancer here on earth by making it go away mm-hmm. for his honor. It could be that ultimate deliverance is me going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but however way he brings me deliverance, ultimately the, uh, I'll bring him honor through that mm-hmm. trial or circumstance and, and he will help me do that. And so that's what I really wanted to draw out of the text. Yeah. Well, you, you, bring out a good point there's that balance that is seen in the text right so so often we focus on that kind of the the self-centered or the self-improvement perspective of it but you see david throughout this right like he is he is concerned i mean his concern about 
Goliath is not like, oh man, how can I, you know, win all these prizes and get, you know, ahead in life, you know, stop being the shepherd boy and get to be, you know, a significant leader uh, amongst Israel. But he's like, why is everybody standing here while every, this guy taunts God and his name and our people, right? Like, mm -hmm. is somebody going to do something about it? Mm -hmm. And even when he talks about, you know, killing the, the bear and the lion, right? You can be tempted to think, oh man, David was this, you know, this really cool rebel and the reality is he reminds us even the next line like god was the one who gave victory this was not me you know this was not my own courage this was god working through me and so such a really helpful perspective if we think about that balance of how we do things but we do so in the strength that god provides and ultimately pointing it back uh to him mm -hmm. now as you think about david and uh, this particular point, th what's been really cool about this series is we've really been kind of doing almost an Old Testament overview to some degree, right? Yeah. Uh, we really kind of went slow through the stories within Genesis, and then we've really started to speed this up with these last couple. And so we knew from when we went into Joshua, we, we skipped over a lot of history that happened between when Israelites came out of uh, Egypt and then into the Promised Land reality is we just really hit the fast forward button and were like the chapter titles almost right we're, mm -hmm. we're we're skipping ahead a lot even though we only went two books of the bible further mm -hmm. you know go from joshua judges ruth and then first samuel there's a lot of history that unfolds in that time oh, yeah. so what exactly is it important for us to know how did we get to this situation with uh, David and the armies of Israel mm -hmm. and them fighting, you know, these foreign nations. How did how did we get here? Oh, that's a good question. So you have 350 years have passed since the fall of the walls of Jericho to the time when Samuel is anointing Saul to be the first king. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of history, like you said, that's happened before there. But I, I want to give like even a, a kind of a little bit bigger context of what's been happening since we started back in Genesis, ever since the fall in the garden, uh, we've got the first taste of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we call it kind of the first little seed of the gospel. Let me turn there and just read that. So in chapter 3, it says, um, verse 15, is it? Yeah. Says, I will put this is the Lord speaking. Says, uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Mm -hmm. And that that's a very significant text that basically uh, that gives a promise of a singular seed, uh, referring ultimately to Jesus, and also a, a plural seed referring to the, the nation of Israel. And also just a, a battle that's going to be waging throughout the history. A kind of a tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of God waging against the kingdom of darkness and evil with Satan as its ruler. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know Kevin brought that out when his message from the Tower of Babel. Kind of a tale of two kingdoms. So we see this, this promise for the singular and plural seed. Um, God revealing and fulfilling that promise all throughout history. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, with the cho choosing of Abraham to be the man in which he would bring about the plural seed of a nation. And then Exodus is kind of the incubator period where that seed multiplies from 70 people to uh, like 2 million people. Mm -hmm. And then you have the next part of the promise, uh, which would have been um, 
for, for Abraham is to not only have a, a, a nation, but to have a nation, you have to have land. So you have a bunch of people, and now it's time for land. So God brings them out of Egypt, saves them, and rescues them from that oppression. And then we see from Exodus through Deuteronomy, him bringing his people out and revealing the glory of his law to them so that they can learn how to worship him through the law, um, to demonstrate their love for him because of his salvation he's worked, and then telling them, hey, you're about to enter this land I'm going to give you, and this is how I want you to live. And so... Uh, then we get to Joshua, and you start to see the fulfilling of the land part of the promises, mm -hmm. and they start to conquer, but yet there's some disobedience going on there. Mm -hmm. Joshua does a really good job leading the people. Um, all of the individual tribes kind of are responsible to clean up the areas of land that God gives them, which we you know find out in numbers what, what parts of land they get to have. And so this is something they're struggling with sinfully and they're not removing all the enemies that God wanted them to. So we start to see some some more resistance in their heart against God and rebellion. And then once Joshua dies in the very beginning of the book of Judges, it doesn't even take a generation. It's like, boom, they start uh, pursuing sinfulness, rebellion against God, idolatry. And there was no succession plan after Joshua. You know, Moses... God told Moses, I want you to I want you to pick Joshua as the next leader. But once Joshua died, God didn't have uh, purposely did not have any kind of succession plan. So then he raised up the judges. Mm -hmm. And one of the then these guys were basically kind of the superheroes in one sense because they were empowered by God to do great mm -hmm. things. They're also kind of judicial judges to help uh, um, govern the people in the midst of this time and they would travel or they would be in certain areas to help judge cases but then also lead militarily. Um, when they were under oppression from the enemy. So though, one of the refrains throughout Judges, though, is that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was mm. Nobody was pursuing God's word. Nobody was seeking to do God's will. And so that's the, that's the culture that you get when you go into 1 Samuel, is you have these judges that are being raised up. Everyone is sinfully following the passions of their own heart. And one of those passions is that they, as they look at these enemy nations, they see that they have these kings, and they say, huh, we want a king. Mm -hmm. And at first, it's a, that doesn't seem like a bad desire, and it, and it really wasn't. In fact, it was something back in Deuteronomy God had foretold that they would have, mm -hmm. and even listed, like, here's a rubric that you can, that I want you to follow when you, when you get a king. Mm -hmm. And so really... The, those the king is the last element of kind of the promises to build a nation to have a nation you have to have a people a land and then a mm -hmm. king and so god had been that king for them it, he that we call israel a theocratic nation they were a nation led by god he was their warrior king and so many times they had to count and depend upon god to lead them in military victory mm -hmm. in ways in which god would win the whole battle and they hardly did anything um, but they didn't like being in that position because mm -hmm. it was one of humble dependence yeah. and it was scary. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sometimes it's scary to not be in control and to trust mm -hmm. that God is going to take care of things. Yeah. So they sinfully ask for a king. They want to be like the nations is what it says in first Samuel it was chapter eight. Mm -hmm. And so Samuel kind of rebukes him for this, but God says, Samuel, I want you to listen to him. Mm -hmm. We're going to give him a king but we're going to give it to them in accordance with their desires. Mm -hmm. And so God uh, picks Saul, but it's also representative of the pick or choice of the people's heart. Mm -hmm. 
they looked only at the outward appearances. Saul was a head taller than everyone else in Israel. Mm-hmm. He was a good-looking guy, mm-hmm. but that's that's it. There was nothing spiritually great like. about him. <laughs> yeah, and so, so the Lord picked him and gave him a special empowerment from the Holy Spirit to help lead them in battle, and he mm-hmm. had victories in moments. Mm-hmm. But it quickly was revealed that he did not care about the Lord's honor. He didn't care about the Lord's glory. And interestingly, uh, amidst all this, um, it was already known that when God picked a king to rule over Israel, it was going to be from the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. We see that back in Genesis uh, when Jacob's giving blessings to his kids, and he says, "To Ju- the scepter will never depart from Judah." It's one of the mm-hmm. one of the allusions to that. Um, and Jesus, you know, is is, is uh, his lineage is from that tribe of Judah. So why did God pick Saul when mm-hmm. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin? Mm-hmm. And so I just think that that was an, meant to be an object lesson to the mm-hmm. to Israel from First Samuel sixteen, where God says, "I look at the heart, mm-hmm. where you guys only look at the outward appearance, and uh, the heart is far more important." And so David comes along, and he is from the tribe of Judah, mm-hmm. and it's so it's it's so important that he is because of those promises that were foreshadowed. But um, you go to Matthew chapter one, the very first verse, it says that Jesus from David, a son of David, and it, it is an important setting up of lineage. God didn't bring about the Messiah through any other person. He didn't mm-hmm. bring it through Saul. He didn't bring it through Abraham. Uh, well, he didn't bring it through Abraham's son, but he didn't establish it, uh, the kingly line through mm-hmm. Saul. He didn't make Abraham king. He didn't. It wasn't time yet for for him to be king because he didn't have a nation of people to rule over. He didn't make Moses king yet because they didn't have a land to mm-hmm. rule over. He didn't make Joshua king because they didn't have the land under control yet. <laughs> and then you had this this short 350 it's kind of funny to say that short 350 years of judges mm-hmm. helping rule and then God at the right time brought in um the kingdom promises to bring about a king and ultimately that was going to be through David. So when David comes on the scene with David and Goliath, all that history now in the kind of in our minds, Israel is seeking after their own ways. Everyone's doing what was right in their own hearts. They're being led by a King Saul who is spiritually bankrupt, not a believer, not does not love the Lord. And that spiritual, poor spiritual leadership is trickling down upon everybody else where nobody in all of all of Israel Mm-hmm. had any faith or trust in the Lord to deliver them from the Philistines when Goliath came out and challenged them. Yeah. It's a lot of history, and yet it's so rich and so good for understanding not just like what brought us to this point, but the as you mentioned, the theological significance of how this all ties into the lineage and the person of, of Christ, right? Um one thing that's really been neat about these Old Testament stories is just how there is so much rich biblical counseling, just themes that stand out throughout it. You mentioned here just about one of the, the big uh, hindrances for the people was that they, when they took control of the land, even though they gained control of the land, they were not completely obedient in what they were asked, which was God had said, I need you to drive them out completely. Right. Mm -hmm. And you see these hints, even in the book of Joshua of like, but they did not drive out completely this 
group of people or mm-hmm. this one or they made a treaty with this one you know and so it was like these little nuggets where it just reminds you that when you allow that foot in the door for sin it rears its head eventually and it becomes a a stumbling block for for god's people now one of the you know the big one of the big applications that you had from this was really about being jealous for God's honor. I mean that was that was so evident with David in this story. So as we kind of wrap up today's episode, maybe just if it'd be okay, could you just give some helpful practical advice on what it actually looks like and what it means to develop um, a jealousy for the honor of God in mm-hmm. the Christian life? Yeah, I think um, part of that is just to first recognize that um, ever since the fall, the bent of our heart, um, the sinful natural bent of our heart is to pursue our own honor um, and to believe a lie that that's what will make us, that'll, that's what will satisfy us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's a delusion to mm-hmm. think that we can have control or that... Um, we can uh, honor our, or that it's worthy a thing to pursue our own honor. And so I think it's important to recognize that just that's the natural bent of our heart to kind of pull back the veil and shed some light on that. Um, But I think scripture to help us cultivate that jealousy, you know, we mentioned throughout the sermon that, you know, it's it's important to cultivate a high view of God, uh, one that sees God accurately according to his word. So one thing that does is that requires spending time in his word Uh, but one passage that sticks out in my mind when i think about this is second corinthians chapter four and i believe it is verse six um, oh, are you talking about uh, the like beholding the glory? Yeah, actually, it's chapter three here. Oh, just like yep. A, yep. Um, verse seventeen. Yes, yeah. just a few verses back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thir- thir- verse eighteen. Yep. So, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. So there, we this kind of think a key for. Being transformed in our minds and our thinking to be more like Christ, and this says the key, is we behold the glory of the Lord. While we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree degree of glory to another. So change in our lives happens about by degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I often tell people that uh, sanctification, the uh, being more like Christ is like a stock market graph. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. lots of ups and downs, but the overall trajectory will be mm-hmm. up. But it happens by degrees. Mm-hmm. And it happens when we are beholding the glory of God. Mm-hmm. How do we behold the glory of God? Well, um, Peter said that uh, in Second Peter, I think it was, chapter 1, where he talks about how we have something more sure than... Um, the visions of seeing Jesus literally. He got to see Jesus on the tra- being transfigured. And he mm-hmm. says, we have something more sure than that, the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So more, we don't need to actually see God right now in order to behold his glory. We see it in his word, and it is something more mm-hmm. sure than visions and more better than that. Um, so we just need to be spending time in the word, beholding God's glory. 
it's very similar to what you said in your sermon last uh, two weeks ago. It's like, is this a read your Bible more sermon? Yes, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, but I think it's in, it's kind of um, you think about it just in a wor- from a worldly kind of illustration. If somebody goes and visits uh, the Grand Canyon or the mountains or some just big, enormous, beautiful thing in creation, you don't have to twist anybody's arm to find the beauty of it, to be in awe of it, and then to go tell other people about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are naturally excited to do those things, to show pictures, to tell people about the experience of it all. Um, I think it's the same thing with God. I mean, it's more so than with God because he's the creator of those things. Mm. But as we behold his glory, um, his character, and his promises in, uh, found in his word, um, it will naturally spring forth from our hearts to magnify him, to talk about him, to be mm-hmm. excited about him, and to um, to have that be the central hub of our life rather mm-hmm. than a man-centered hub. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be thinking about his honor and his glory um, more, and we'll want to mm-hmm. defend it like Will Smith defended his wife <laughs> at the Oscars. <laughs> at the Oscars. <laughs> oh man, it's. Uh, it, I mean, it's. It comes back to who we are as God's creation, right? I mean, all that we do exists to to glorify Him, and so such a, a timely text and a timely reminder of that for people so Tyson thanks again for taking just some extra time this week to uh, minister to our hearts and help us process uh, everything that you talked about on uh, on Sunday yeah thanks my pleasure and my privilege absolutely and next week uh, you guys will be in for a treat because we have another guest preacher on Sunday, uh, one of our elders in development, Mr. Matt Miller, who is going to be bringing us God's word from the book of Daniel. So we are excited for that. Uh, still have yet to talk to him if he's going to do this, sit down with us next week. So we'll try to make that clear as to what's happening for the post-sermon wrap-up, but it might be a few weeks before you see us again. And uh, we are excited as we bring it close to this study. So thank you so much, church. We love you. Thank you for your teachable spirit, and we'll see you again. God bless.